morning when all the dead in Christ shall rise. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Eternal soul, in weakness raised in power, ready to live in paradise. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed Never of God There'll be no more sorrow No, no more pain There'll be no more strife Yes, raising the likeness In of his likeness Ready to live I'll be glad I'll have a new body Praise the Lord I'll have a new life Eternal Free From every imperfection Youthful and happy I shall be Lost in victory I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life oh, yes. I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed Never of God There'll be no more sorrow No, no more pain There'll be no more strife Yes, raising the likeness In his likeness Ready to live I'll be glad I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Trump of God shall sound. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Eternal grains, all bursting saints are shouting heavenly beauty all around. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Oh, yes. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory, glory. with the reading of God to stand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my likeness. Ready to live, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Welcome to the Passion for Christ show. So glad to have you, friend. Hey, I'm your host, Bruce Kessler, and I just want to let you know I'm part of the greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, because you see, in Him alone I find peace, forgiveness, joy, happiness, blessed beyond measure, more than I could ever deserve. My goal here, friend, is very simple. That is to encourage you along the way and help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment... We're going to come to the conclusion to the study called Dreadfully Afraid. Dreadfully Afraid. But before we get to that study, we got a few things along the way. And the first is Headline News. Get this, folks. Get this. On Thursday, a Washington, D.C. district court judge issued a temporary restraining order preventing the Biden administration from firing or disciplining unvaccinated employees. That's right. 
Accordingly, both civilian and active duty military plaintiffs have sued the administration for not granting them religious exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccines. None of the civilian employee plaintiffs will be subject to discipline while his or her request for a religious exemption is pending, declared the judge. Additionally, the judge ruled active duty military plaintiffs whose religious exemption requests have been denied will not be disciplined or separated during the pendency of their appeals. The court also mandated the Biden administration to file a supplementary notice by noon on Friday demonstrating that they agree that no plaintiff will be terminated or disciplined amid the ongoing ruling. On Sunday, 20 plaintiffs sued Biden and his administration over the president's executive order issued last month for federal employees. The Biden administration has shown an unprecedented cavalier attitude toward the rule of the law and an utter ineptitude at basic constitutional contours. The, this combination is dangerous to American liberty Thankfully, our Constitution protects and secures the right to remain free from religious persecution and coercion. With this order, we are one step closer to putting the Biden administration back in its place by limiting government to its enumerated powers. On the same day as the ruling Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced that his state is suing the Biden administration over the vaccine mandates. There you go, folks. Biden administration cannot discipline or fire unvaccinated employees. D.C. judge rules. Mm -mm -mm. What a absolute and categorical mess this is, folks. We just need to pray, pray, pray indeed. Well, now get this, get this. According to a new study, most young people in Generation Z, that's ages 13 to 25, who claim to be spiritual or religious, reject organized religion. My oh my, folks. My oh my. The survey entitled The State of Religion and Young People 2021 Navigating Uncertainty revealed that 52% of young people who said they were just Christian were either a member of or participated in a religious community, while 48% did not. Mm. Wow, folks. study also showed that while 71% of young people considered themselves to be at least slightly religious or spiritual, some 78%, Many of the respondents would rather turn to their family and friends during times of uncertainty and difficulty instead of a religious community. For instance, twice as many young people confided in their family and friends in difficult times than any other relationships. Meanwhile, the respondents turned to no one in times of uncertainty as much as they would turn to someone associated with a religious community. Get that, folks. We've got a lot of work to do. Josh Picard, 
the executive director of Springtime Research Institute, explained that the study's findings note how religious leaders have misunderstood young people when it comes to matters of faith. For years now, religious leaders have been paying attention to the wrong things when it comes to understanding young people. Old categories just aren't useful anymore. We have to start looking at who they are, what they believe, how they form their identities, not just paying attention to which box they check on one question of a survey. There you go, folks. Can you believe that? Most Generation Zers reject organized religion despite identifying as spiritual or religious study shows. Oh my folks, we live in a different world and we need to figure out how to connect with our young generation. If we lose them, the church folds. Amen, folks. Amen. We need to do a lot of work. Let's pray for that, folks. And that's our headline news for this broadcast. And now, folks, this day in church history. Henry Martin described himself as a selfish boy. In a fit of rage, he once flung a knife at a friend who barely eluded it. His attitude began to change after his father died unexpectedly. Unable to study, Martin began to read the Bible. Before long, he prayed God for pardon. He had planned to go into law, but now felt constrained to preach the gospel. As he had sisters to support, he accepted a chaplaincy with the East India Company despite indications he had tuberculosis. The following year, 25-year-old Martin became chaplain to some British troops and began a mission work at Denimpur, India. He had a good ear for languages and translated the New Testament and Anglican prayer book into Yurda becoming one of the first Protestants to make a real effort to bring Muslims to salvation. He also translated the New Testament and Psalms into Persian and made an Arabic translation. After terrible suffering, he died in 1812, just 31 years old. Today's quote is from Martin's journal on this day, church history in 1806, while he was still working among Muslims in India. Here his, is his quote. My Munshi said, How can you prove this book, the gospel, to be the word of God? I took him to walk with me on the shore that we might discuss the matter, and the result of our conversation was that I discovered that the Muslims allow the gospel to be in general the command of God, though the words of it are not his as the words of the Koran are, and contend that the actual words of God given to Jesus were burnt by the Jews, 
that they also admit the New Testament to have been enforced till the coming of Muhammad. When I quoted some passages which proved the Christian dispensation to be the final one, he allowed it to be inconsistent with the divinity of the Koran, but said, Then these words of the gospel must be false. The man argued and asked his question seemingly in earnest, and another new impression was left upon my mind, namely, that these men are not fools, and that all ingenuity and clearness of reasoning are not confined to England and Europe. I seem to feel that these descendants of Ham are as dear to God as the haughty ones of Jophet, or Japheth. I feel, too, more at home with the scriptures than ever. Everything I see gives light to and receives it from the scriptures. I seem transported back to ancient times of the Israelites and the apostles. My spirit felt composed after the dispute by simply looking to God as one who had engaged to support his own cause. And I saw it to be my part to pursue my way through the wilderness of this world, looking only to that redemption which daily draweth nigh. How should this consideration quell the tumult of anger and impatience when I cannot convince men the government is on his shoulders? Jesus is able to bear the weight of it. Therefore, we need not be oppressed with care or fear, but a missionary is apt to fancy himself an atlas. And that's this day in church history. And now, folks, we have our thankfulness passage for this broadcast. And it's going to come out of Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Malachi chapter 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Hallelujah, folks. Praise the Lord. John the Baptist paved the way for the Messiah. And that the Messiah did come, lived, and became the crucified Savior, the Redeemer who paid the ransom for our sins. And thus the earth was not cursed by the wonderful acts of the Messiah. Amen, folks. Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6. And now, folks, we have Name That Bible Character. We have a little fun here with this Bible character segment. Here is your clue, friend. Here is your clue. I am the area where Cain killed Abel. What area am I? It's a little tricky question, folks. Here it is again. Here's the clue. I am the area where Cain killed Abel. What area am I? Hmm. Good one, folks. We'll reveal the final answer to that tantalizing clue following our study segment. 
So stay tuned, folks, for that exciting reveal in our final segment of Name That Bible Character. Welcome to our study segment for this broadcast. Pull up a chair, pull up your Bibles, bring your cup of coffee or hot tea or cold drink or whatever it is, and let's begin to study God's fantastic and powerful Word. We're continuing to our study called Dreadfully Afraid. It's about Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 1 through 25. 1 Samuel chapter 28, we had stopped in verse 10. And there Saul makes a promise. He says as the, to this medium, to this witch of Endor, as some would call it, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He had sought her out. Why did he seek her out? How did uh, Saul find himself in this sorry state, in this condition? Well, in verse 6, it says that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. You see, God had punished Saul, had given the kingdom over to David, had given Saul ample opportunity in every, every turn, every which way but loose. God had tried to get Saul back on the track. And now God has removed his spirit from Saul. God had removed himself from Saul, not answering it. What what a terrible and awful state to be in when you find yourself, God won't answer your prayers. God won't answer your cause because of how evil, how sin sick you are, how overwhelmed you are in sin. You can get to the point, folks, where your conscience is so seared that nothing, that nothing God tries to do penetrates that hardened heart. It's a terrible place. And this is where Saul is. He said, well, if God won't answer my prayers, I'm going to find my answer somewhere else. Folks, there are people, there are voices who are waiting to be heard calling out to you if you'll just call out to them. I mean, once, you, once you've given up on God, there are all kinds of voices that are pleading for your attention. And this is where Saul is. And in verse 11 it says, And a woman, the medium, in fact, folks, this is probably the better description of this woman of Endor, She's a medium, and that means a necromancer are those who are calling or making contact with the dead. That Hebrew word literally means to mumble a strange, hollow sound, and it actually means to be channeling, and that's a word that describes those who are trying to contact the dead. They, they channel for that. So this is where Saul has gotten to the point now in verse 12, and the woman saw Samuel. Well, let's back up in verse 11. And the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, I bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, so this necromancer, this medium, this witch, sees Samuel. She cries out with a loud voice, and immediately she knows who Saul is. And she spoke to Saul, saying in verse 12, 
Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Verse 13, And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. So not only did this woman see Samuel, knows who Samuel is, knows who Saul is now, but Saul now perceives and sees that it was indeed Samuel. Now, there are a lot of different opinions about what happens next and whether or not this was Samuel's spirit or not. Some believe it was just a hallucination of the medium and she's trying to um, uh, pull one over on Saul. Or some believe that it was a deception brought on by drugs. Witchcraft literally means pharmaceutical and so it involves drugs and so this could be a highly, highly uh, deceptive case brought on by the overuse of drugs. There are some who believe that this is a demon. Uh, instead of the actual Samuel, it's really a demon impersonating as Samuel. And then there are those who believe this is a genuine strange case allowed by God for Samuel to appear. Why would he allow that? Well, to confirm what God had already, to confirm in a strange way his judgment against Saul. I believe this is the case. The scriptures point out that it is Samuel. The scriptures say Samuel speaks. And it even details what Samuel says. That's my opinion, folks. So let's start now in verse 15. This is the point in which uh, Saul is listening to Samuel. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. It, this, the whole thing is just flabbergasting because one, God wouldn't answer Saul why would Saul think that God, that he's going to find answers somewhere else? And especially with Samuel, who had already told Saul all of this. It just, this is what sin does, friend. Conscience seared, hardened. And this is what you get. Verse 16. And Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Uh, duh. So Samuel is like going, Why have you pestered me, got me out of this comfort that I was in, and now rain down upon me these questions that you already know the answers to? It's just absolutely stunning indeed. In verse 17, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. So Samuel 
going to restate and re-clarify. If it couldn't be any more clear, this is what he says. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalekites, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, it just doesn't stop there, folks. I mean, that would be worse, but it just doesn't stop there. Moreover, in verse 19, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be living with me. This includes the great and powerful and loving and kind and heroic Jonathan. And the Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Woo! What else can be said? If he was hoping for any better news, if he was hoping to get answers in any other way, this is what you get, folks, when you circumvent God. And in this case, a st very strange case. Now, don't think this is the first time that God had, had uh, or that we find other spirits of human, of human beings that have been long dead appear. You had Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus at the transfiguration. So God has exceptions. And in this case, he allowed an exception. Why did God allow this exception? So that judgment could be seen as clear as a bell to Saul. You can't get any clearer than what Samuel just said. In verse 20, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. You see, instead of the words of Samuel, Saul should have been afraid of the fact that God wouldn't answer him. He needed to figure that out. He needed to realize where he was. And yet he could not do it. And it says that he was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. Dreadfully afraid, filled with fear, dread, a terrifying, frightening moment this was. Just think about this. We already have an enemy and it's called Satan. We're fighting a war against this dreaded enemy. He's like a roaring lion seeking a man of all. But when you make an enemy of God... That's double the whammy, double the hardship, double the frightening, double the dread. I mean, be afraid of Satan, yeah, but be even more fearful of the one who can kill the spirit in hell. So Saul not only had the devil to fear, but now he made a mortal enemy of God who is raining down judgment. And now we find Saul falling full length on the ground, dreadfully afraid, dreadfully afraid. Oh, friend, this is what being overwhelmed in sin 
will do. And the impact of Saul's decision will affect not only his sons, but Israel and cause them to suffer horrendously. Verse 21, as we draw to a close of this sorry story and terrible situation, awful, God awful. It says in verse 21, a woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said, oh, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the women urged him, and he heeded their voice. And then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. And the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took the flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. And she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And they rose and went away that night. Do you remember another, another fatted calf and another story that Jesus was telling how that the father had the fatted calf for a victory dinner. Here, this wasn't a victory dinner. It was a farewell of death and judgment. What a story indeed. And you, you, what God... Promise happens, folks. And the commentary is found in First Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 13. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a median for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. And so concludes the life of Saul. Folks, what a testimony of what can happen if we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed in sin. Step out of the umbrella of God's protection and love and grace. Giving ourselves over to one sin after another sin after another sin. And be totally hardened to the point of where we can't even see the goodness of God. Can't even and won't even hear the pleading of God himself. Friend. Deal with your sin problem. Don't play around with evil. Because what happened to Saul can happen to you or anyone. We need to be vigilant. We need to know that sin is a terrible and evil practice. and cannot be overlooked and casually dismissed. And that's our study for this broadcast.
Oh, folks, man, I tell you what, what a, what a story, an ending life of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Oh, my, folks, Woo. we need to turn to Jesus, give over our sin problems, allow his word and spirit to help us overcome temptation. Amen, amen, and glory. Hallelujah. And now, folks, we have the conclusion to name that Bible character. Here was your clue. I am the area where Cain killed Abel. What area am I? It was a field. Genesis 4, verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. I am the area where Cain killed Abel. What area am I? Field. And name that Bible character. Well, folks, you too can become a follower of Jesus Christ, giving your life over to Him and repentance, submitting your whole life and heart and mind and soul to Him in baptism, and be forgiven of your sins, and gaining a peace and blessing beyond imagination. My goal here was very simple. That was to encourage you, friend, along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Visit our website, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com. Well, friend, I just want to tell you this. What a privilege and honor it's been for me to have you walking along my side during this show. May God bless you. The Lord reigns. He is the mighty God. The Lord God reigns. The Lord Mighty God, the Lord God reigns. Hey! Great is the Lord Almighty, He is Lord, He's God indeed. Great is the Lord Almighty, He is God supreme. Great is the Lord Almighty, He is Lord, He's God indeed. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. The Lord reigns. He is the mighty God, the Lord God reigns. The Lord reigns, He is the mighty God, the 